Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction a 692. Science Faction, Pets vs. Parkinson's, and Is Your Gut Causing Your Eye Disease? Pets versus Parkinson's, that's like one of those uh, rivalries we didn't know we needed. You know, like uh, plants versus zombies, which, which you know, if yes. I tell you, like, that sounds like a ridiculous, but it's actually a very successful and fun video game franchise. But who would have ever pitted those two against each other? I was thinking it would be uh, an ill-thought-out Nickelodeon game show. Like, pets... <laughs> versus Parkinson's, <laughs> and it's like, who could complete the maze first? Your 85-year-old grandfather who is suffering from late-stage Parkinson's or this golden retriever, and then, you know, it's, a, it's like a fun little thing you, you do as a, as a kid. Mark Summers is just priceless in anything he does. I mean, you 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 put people like a, on like a, a, a late-stage Parkinson's up there, but you put, it's sad, but you put Mark Summers up there, it's heartwarming. It's crazy. I don't know what happened to him. And speaking of Parkinson's, I, of course, am your host, comedian, archaeologist, and possible Parkinson's sufferer, Mr. Robert Timothy. And with me, as always, is my comedian, the guy who doesn't know Parkinson's from Alzheimer's, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? No joke. Because of this show, I regularly, because we, we've talked on this show that uh, smoking is contraindicated of, of Parkinson's disease. Yeah. And we've discussed that many times on this show. But one of the things we also said is that, like, if like you're you have a tough time getting addicted to smoking, like which I do. Yeah. I've tried. I have a very addictive personality, and I've tried. Sure. I've been in the army. I've been. I've been in stand up comedy. I have tried yep. cigarettes. Trust me, I've yes. given them a shot. You've I've, had sex at least four times, and we all know <laughs> what happens after that. Yeah, I, I couldn't let them know that I was do a soldier or did stand up comedy. Those that, that was the only right. conditions in which I could have sex. Sex is kind of a gateway drug to smoking, isn't it? <laughs> I've, I've, I've so badly craved the release, but I hate cigarettes. They're so bad. I hate them. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, but that fact that, like, uh, that tobacco just has no hold, that nicotine has no hold on me, mm. uh, despite my addictive personality, always made me think, like, am I predisposed to Parkinson's? Like, every little time my hand gets a tremor, I'm like, do I gotta, let's rush me to the hospital, rush me to the ER, give me the, give me the Parkinson's vaccine. Stat. <laughs> Which is just a pack of Marlboro Reds. Yeah, <laughs> smoke these. Like, you're getting the Hank Hill dad punishment for smoking. <laughs> uh, but but before we get going, I just wanted to plug my uh, podcast. Uh, we did our stream from the Madhouse Comedy Club. Uh, we, uh, uh, longtime fans will know, the Madhouse Comedy Club is where we did a good portion of our episodes early on. And sure. um, we started the live stream. We, uh, we we are aware of the sound issues from last time. We're getting them fixed for this time. And uh, yeah, we're going to continue epi with episode two of our live stream Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Awful Neutral. Um, we have a good amount of crossover from th this fan base. Uh, Bobby, I don't know if that makes you lose a lot of respect for our fans. Yes, I'm I'm incredibly disappointed. You guys, should, if you're listening to both, just, just stop listening to this one. Like, we don't need you. We don't <laughs> yeah. need that kind of... That kind of you're, listener. You're, oh, this is ugh. we have such a good show, but literally this man is, is doing a. He's in charge of our marketing, so you can. <laughs> that attitude is in charge of our marketing. 
I'd rather I'd rather have no listeners than have listeners who are also listening to your podcast. You treat us like 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 we're like uh, the owner of Ferrari. Like <laughs> this isn't a podcast for gutter trash. This is a podcast for Nobel laureates. Now, Alex Jones, please read us the news. That's right, I'm eating chili. I forgot my kids. And if you want a podcast for Nobel laureates, you can also check out. Science Faction's Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon for four extra science articles every single week. But for now, let's head right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. What do you say to fans uh, who listen to this and Skeptic's Guide? Well, that's fine. I mean, I listen to Skeptic's Guide, too. I, I kind of <laughs> think that's like... Even though you're mortal like, nemesis. Now, my show yes. at least has a lot of people you respect and love. Well, no, that's a th- different... We're talking different things. Like, Skeptic's Guide is the worst version of our show. It's our show. It's less funny. Uh, they have less dick nose saga references. They don't talk about the bestiality in scientific communities nearly enough. They shy away from all the fun stuff. That is their show. There, it, it is different level of degree, but it's the same thing. It's somebody who wants to learn about science and be a science enthusiast. Yours is just ethically wrong. Like, they're, they're, it's a different category because... Listening, performing, featuring, anything about it has an ethical negative effect on the broader world in general. You know, 99% of the things you say, I'm like, wow, Bobby, he has a really you know good worldview. But then every once in a while you'll say something, I'm like, wow, maybe I'm just seeing it from the wrong perspective. He's a psychopath, like a charming psychopath, mm. and, and that he's actually extremely flawed. I've just, sure. he just hides it behind this scientific veneer. If that's the price I have to pay for standing up against Dungeons and Dragons, then I will pay that price. What do you have against 20 Sided Die, bro? <laughs> I will be the John Brown of my generation, and I will stand up against what I know to be wrong. You are not John Brown in this scenario. You are, you are the whites enabling slavery. So, some may call me that. Some may call me the John Brown of this of, the, of our era. Yeah, for this I will not stance. have you re- John Brown is turning over in his grave. <laughs> uh, dear article number one: Pets versus Parkinsons. Now I'm just uh, picturing the Nickelodeon set. You know, it's brightly colored. There's odd-shaped podiums at which the contestants are standing, and they're like, this is Billy. He's nine and a half years old and from Tacoma, Washington. Billy's going to have his three-and-a-half-year-old Jack Russell Terrier, Squirts, compete against his 95-year-old <laughs> grandfather in a maze. Jack Russell Terrier, that's not fair, because they're, they're, they're energetic dogs. They're not, and they're... They are. They're very sprightly. <laughs> They are not empathetic dogs. They they're there to do a job. No, and and uh, next to Lavar Burton, the character that will teach you how to read the most from uh, PBS show. That's right. He also also uh, uh, on Frasier. He was the dog. He, he lived with a psychologist. Psychiatrist. So that's true. Famed radio psychiatrist. So this is an interesting preprint article that suggests regular pet dogs can actually smell out and alert to Parkinson's disease in human beings before a medical diagnosis is even given. So like uh, if you're a dog, like like if you're going to dog high school, like there's going to be like uh-huh. a dog guidance counselor who's going to direct you like into the medical field, perhaps. Now for there'll be a medical field, you'll be a dog doctor. 
And essentially you're sniffing out cancer or Parkinson's or gayness. That's right. Dogs will be able to smell it in the future. Mainly it's just you're very well, your hygiene is, is, uh, is... I hate to live in like Uganda or Russia with those dogs going around. <laughs> yeah, they've been useless evil doctors. Very weaponized, those dogs. Do no harm. You took an oath. You barked an oath, dog. Just as a reminder, uh, Parkinson's, which is, you know, a disease that got famous from certain famous people like Michael J. Fox or Muhammad Ali having it, is a disease that's caused by the death of dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra. I know, Damien, uh, you you pointed out that dopaminergic neurons, one of the coolest sounding neurons <laughs> that are around. Yeah, they're the only neuron with a contract, if you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> with, a seven, with, a, with a multi-record deal. And it causes loss of muscle control. That's why we get the shaking and uh, other stuff that eventually leads to dementia and things like that. It is a disease that has certainly a genetic component and the biggest risk factor is age. So the older you are, the more likely you are to get it. But we know there's some environmental factors too. There are some really specific pesticides that we know to cause Parkinson's. If there your is hand also is bigger than your face. That's um, right. That's a, everybody that's a, do it. <laughs> But but you can't do it alone. Do it otherwise it's not. Yeah, you have to do it with a nine year old boy who has a kind of a mean streak to him. Yeah, <laughs> they're the only objective people who can judge the test. We know that brain trauma can cause it. This is what led to likely guys like Muhammad Ali getting it. It's also you know uh, boxers and people who take repeated head trauma have been known to get Parkinson's. Uh, football players as well. Uh, repeated head trauma can somehow damage you know those dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra to the degree that it also causes it. So we have genetic influences. We have environmental factors. Some of those environmental factors are chemical. Some of those are physical trauma. But all of those we know can lead to Parkinson's. And right now, really the only thing we have is a drug, which again, Damien likes the name of because it sounds like a Mexican wrestler, El Dopa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to, but I mean, a voice has been used many times. Yeah, so And right. I can do the accent because my last name is Mercado. So. That's true. Yes, that is right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This is Antonio Banderas. It is a separate uh, appearance. I, I am here to promote Nasonex. I'm a bee. Buzz, buzz. You're doing a southern Mexican accent, which you don't have a right to, sir. <laughs> You're right. My, my ancestors were from the Jalisco area. They were not Cholongos from, from Mexico City. And uh, we also talked before about how, as Damien brought up, there are some things that essentially offer protection against Parkinson's in the long term, including smoking cigarettes, ingesting caffeine, be that in coffee or tea. Certain things like this seems to provide some level of inherent protection against it, which is, again, interesting. You know, I don't recommend anybody start smoking because the uh, downsides are way better than any protection you're going to get. You know, instead, maybe just double down on the coffee or something. But, uh, you know, don't go start smoking. But it is interesting that in certain cases smoking is actually saving lives as opposed to killing everybody it touches no no we would never suggest that you smoke cigarettes as a preventative measure uh to not get parkinson's that's ridiculous however we have talked on the show pretty recently this year about how you should start smoking if you have cancer uh smoke away smoke them up light them up get, get as much carbon monoxide in that blood as you can that was for a very specific cancer drug uh, that would do better. And they had other ways for you to get that gas in your system. So, no, you, you probably should not start smoking no matter I have a what. Actually, very mild skin cancer. <laughs> and, 
and you cannot stop me. I'm smoking like I'm on death row, and and every, and, and it's lunchtime. I was uh, sailing through the Tropic of Cancer. Does that count? I'm surprised. Kudos to you for having that level of vacation time and sailing. <laughs> wow, <laughs> are you a billionaire? That's fucking amazing. Actually, Cancer is my uh, astrology sign, so maybe that. Maybe now I should be smoking. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. This is the idiot who who denounces D and D. I would say that I'm a Sagittarius. What can I we, say? <laughs> we talked before on this show about how certain trained dogs, as well as an individual, a person who was a super smeller, were able to actually smell Parkinson's. Uh, in the sebum or the basically the sweat left on clothing of people wearing shirts or whatever and then sweating in them and then the animals or in that case person was able to actually smell the difference overnight we talked about her her name was joy milney we talked about this a few years ago she noted a difference in her husband's smell i believe and and he later was diagnosed with parkinson's but it was long before and then we started training certain dogs to be able to do it this new paper looks at just regular pet dogs and have to understand there is a huge difference there for a while i was involved in communities that train dogs to smell things in order to you know find them in my case i thought you were gonna like uh say dog fighting but like undercover like train dogs to you know (laughs) spar one-on-one against each other uh in various (laughs) they were it was gaining confidence for the dogs and like a sense of, of well-being and physical fitness is what i was trying to imbue in them yeah, and I had a gym that they would work out at all the time. Fitness was number one mm-hmm. at my gym. That you had to, yeah. you had to bring it. I, I taught yeah. a level of of not wanting to back down, even though your own sense of personal safety might be telling you to back down. I taught that at my gym. Also, a lot of dog sweeping the knees. That's uh, <laughs> that was a big part of my dojo's ethos: was sweeping the knees. So uh, I I was involved in this for my own career as an archaeologist, starting I don't know a very long time ago, probably twelve or fifteen years ago. Uh, I got involved in a couple of groups that trained dogs to try and find human remains on archaeological sites because it's something that's really important because of laws and because of ethical concerns by the Native Americans. So I really wanted to be able to know when there was human remains about around me so I wouldn't damage them or desecrate them. And so I got involved with a, a group that does that professionally and does a very good job. And I got a dog and started training her up and she did okay at it. She wasn't as good as those dogs, but she could find human remains and did quite frequently, which led to a couple of interesting things. Of you almost being caught. Yeah. <laughs> well, For one the of my favorite stories... This is before I had met my wife and I was single and uh, I was training my dog to find human remains. And the only way to do that is to have human remains and so i had some human bones just sitting on in my car and uh i didn't realize this i had run home from work and i was like showering to get ready for a date Uh, and it was a first date and i i went to go pick her up and i opened the door for her and because it had been dark i hadn't quite noticed and i just moved my jacket off the seat i opened the door and there was quite literally a group like a little pile of human bones sitting on the passenger seat and i was like all right, I'm going to have to explain this in a way that doesn't make me sound like a serial killer. <laughs> I would consider it a challenge as uh, as a, as a uh, as a pickup artist. Like uh-huh. I've already dug myself this hole. How sure. am I going to get out of it? How am I going to survive? This is the jujitsu. I'm in the rear naked. Do I submit? Do I tap? Or do I or do I fight my way free? <laughs> well, I made it work. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Misogynistic high five. <laughs> Woo! That was one of my uh, one of my better stories of human bones and dating. Uh, gave her the human bone. You know what I mean? But one of the things to know is, and this is something I have experience with, most dogs are not capable of this kind of work. You can't just grab a Yorkie and train them to to find human remains. They're just not. They don't have the attention span. They don't have the intelligence. They don't have the nose. They don't have like all this stuff. And you have to pick a very smart breed. A lot of times, the working breeds do really well. Whether that's a shepherd type, like a German shepherd or, or or other herding dogs, like collies and collie breeds. They come, they, they do very well, but it usually takes a high degree of intelligence, a longer snout. You can't just do it with the ones with the pushed in faces, a bigger dog with more energy and more attention, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty rare that you can train average everyday pets to go find something by smell. That's why, you know, when you go look at police dogs or scent searching dogs or something, you're not going to find like a lot of French bulldogs doing that work. They just, they're not good at it. So what was interesting about this paper is- It's an administrative position. Like, 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 <laughs> he, like he's the clerk, the filing clerk sure. at, at the dog academy. Yeah. I feel like if you were to go to a dog DMV, the receptionist at the dog DMV would be a French bulldog. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I get, yeah. Um... Also, dog bartender, French or English bulldog. They're not like super smart. So like, are you saying like, these are just baseline, like the, the border collies would be in an air traffic control tower in your world. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's probably right. Teaching, teaching in advance a DIT or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's D instead of, instead of also MIT, dog MIT. But... <laughs> so this paper is really interesting because they were actually like training like regular ass pets. They trained 23 dogs of like different types, different breeds, different ages, all just kind of regular pets without like bomb sniffing or other sniffing backgrounds. And they were did shockingly well at detecting Parkinson's just from the, you know, clothing of people who had Parkinson's, the sebum, so to speak, that was on that clothing. Here's a quote. When averaged as a group over two years, the 23 dogs were 89% sensitive and 87% specific to olfact distinctions between PD positive and PD negative human donor samples. 10 of the 23 dogs averaged 90% or higher in both sensitivity and specificity, end quote. So they're actually doing super well. And by the way, this is something that most people don't appreciate. And this is something, again, I know from my background and working with dogs and stuff. A lot of people think, man, dogs are great at smelling things. They're aces. They're like one of the best tests. Like think of like a bomb sniffing dog. And to an extent, you're right. Because bomb sniffing dogs are really good at smelling bombs and explosives. In fact, if you, if you ran a bunch of explosives through it, a system and you had a, a you know bomb sniffing dog, a bomb sniffing dog will catch those explosives almost every time. They're almost always going to catch those explosives. What you don't know, though, is that even for really good bomb sniffing and drug sniffing dogs, they have a huge false positive ratio. Huge. Like 80%. Meaning that, yes, they're going to catch those drugs, and yes, they're going to catch those explosives almost every time. But also, most of the time they think they're catching something, it's nothing. And that's a big deal when it comes to bomb sniffing or drug sniffing, by the way, uh, because essentially most of the time they're hitting, they're hitting in error. And so what's interesting with the specificity numbers on this is that it seems like for this particular test and these particular dogs, they actually did really well 
well in not getting a ton of false positives, which again, with somebody with a background of, of how we train these dogs and how effective they are, that is really shocking that they were able to be that effective yet that specific towards those smells without having a huge false positive ratio. I think it's because when you teach them to uh, to do plants and, and uh, you know, if it's a pot dog or a cocaine dog, mm-hmm. for example, like so plants mm-hmm. or in the case of bombs for chemical explosives, like that's really not its forte. It's a tool, but it's not what the tool was meant for. However, sure. meat and, and like the condition of meat, living or dead, that is something it's conditioned for. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's conditioned to find people with Parkinson's. Like, listen, <laughs> if there's one thing a dog wants, it wants to find a dude with Parkinson's. Because you know what? If he's holding that tennis ball, it's always moving. Oh, I was I was going to say, because it was always the easy, in nature, wolves would always prey on the, because the, it was the easiest <laughs> the Parkinson's, meal. Parkinson's, yes. Like, <laughs> That's the irony of Michael J. Fox being Teen Wolf. No, I mean, um, I you know it's anecdotal, but my aunt is uh, had a golden retriever, and uh, uh-huh. and uh, her golden retriever one day was like really like coming at her boob, like you know pawing at it, and like like really uh. concerned and whining, and she like felt her boob and she realized she had a lump, and like she was this was a pampered ass golden retriever, and it it knew something sure. was up with the boob. Like this isn't the regular, yeah. this isn't the boob I'm used to that this creepy lady <laughs> breastfeeds me with. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you bring up a good point. We talked about this a bunch before. There's a bunch of stuff dogs can do, including finding cancers. They're actually very good at finding things like skin cancer. They're highly effective at things like that. In fact, so much so, I think there was one report we did where they're better than a lot of dermatologists at finding skin cancer and finding it quickly and other types of cancer well, as well. Well, let's start paying golden retrievers by the hour and let's see how, let's see how they're, let's see how many false positives they throw out. <laughs> I just think the future of medicine just being like you walk into a room and a dog sniffs you a couple of times and then makes some kind of signal is kind of an exciting and enticing world for me. Because like, I don't know about you, I spent some time in hospitals. They're pretty sterile and like reminding you of death. And if in the middle of that, you just walked into a room that had like a real excited chocolate lab that just wanted to like, like sniff up on you. That'd be kind of cool. Trick question, Bobby. The chocolate lab was the doctor. Oh, I see. I didn't think because it was a girl dog. I didn't. I, I thought it could be. A oh, Bobby, you're digging the holes deeper now, man. <laughs> the doctor was the mom the whole time. I get it. All right, all right, that makes sense now. Super interesting because it reminds us of of like just how powerful this thing that we just consider a pet that's running around our fucking house all day long like it actually has this amazing superpower we don't even really think of a lot of times but is incredibly important for doing things like you know distinguishing between two things that we wouldn't think maybe you could even smell out you know things like parkinson's that seems like something weird you wouldn't immediately associate with smell and we have these things running around our house and without a lot of specialized training because it does take very specialized training to be a bomb dog or, or a drug dog or a human remains dog but with seemingly not a ton of super specialized training and with a wide variety of breeds available it seems like we could have fucking just roving parkinson's detectors at every dog park in america not so fast mr Moneybags. uh talking about breeding all these specialized dogs let us not forget that there is a cheaper option that is uh, more easily trainable in the rat and and it can do any, it can be trained sure. to do anything the dog can. It's 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 a g- cheaper great turnaround time. I mm. I, I just uh, was uh, fell in love with that story how they're uh, using rats to find mines in uh, minefields sure. and they have such an inc- insane clearance rate. 
And so, uh, yeah, I would love to, to see like like people like uh, get creeped out because the cancer rat, but uh, has crawled on their boot, but not because it's a rat, but because it's the cancer rat. That's the that's I have a dream. <laughs> rats are legitimate doctors. I feel like the cancer rat was like a very unsuccessful song from a grunge band in the early 90s. Yeah, I was picturing like the Ramones uh, had a band once opened for them called Cancer Rat. That's that's <laughs> that's what I pictured. I was also picturing like a, a failed Chuck E. Cheese marketing campaign. <laughs> like like Ronald McDonald House Charities. Chuck E. Cheese, Charles Entertainment Cheese would not be outdone. No, no. Cancer Rat <laughs> Hospitals. Hospices was born. <laughs> <laughs> the only eatery brave enough to tackle palliative care. Kudos to you, Charles Cheese. Uh, one of those fucking animatronic singing robots gives you the chemo. Like that's <laughs> horrifying. The IV in. It's fucking horrifying. <laughs> These kids would beg for death. Oh uh, dear. Article number two. Is your gut causing your eye disease? Um, as a guy who has chronic pink eye, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say <laughs> that uh, the problem, I don't blame the gut bacteria. Everybody doesn't have pink eye all the time. It's clearly me. No. As I, I, I'm squinting pretty hard at the <laughs> camera. I'm pretty sure it's you, Bobby. Nice beard. Yeah, that's also because uh, unlike some people who if they're hiking and they're in a horrible situation where all of a sudden they have to poo outside unexpectedly uh, and then do something like maybe like use a sock or something or leaves as toilet paper, you almost always go to sunglasses as your preferred impromptu <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> My visine. Hold on, wait. I don't want these guys to know that I'm high. I better give myself pink eye. <laughs> Also, I just think, what's the least comfortable thing you could use as toilet paper? And I don't know if sunglasses are the least comfortable, but they're up there. <laughs> A lot of pointy edges, especially when you get the fabulous ones that I do. So this is a really interesting article uh, that shows that uh, an eye disease previously thought to just be like a completely genetic component may actually be related to the gut bacteria that you have in your stomach. So super, super interesting. The disease that we're talking about is retinitis pigmentosa. And for a long time, it was considered this is, you know, we found a genetic marker that basically predisposes you strongly to the disease. It's a CRB1 mutation. And we just think, okay, well, this causes it, right? This just causes the disease somehow. Maybe it doesn't make a protein, maybe it makes too many of some protein or something. But a really interesting article came out. And it's not saying that it doesn't. It does. It is linked to the disease for a reason. But the way that it causes the disease kind of shows us the ultimate cause instead of the proximate. This is really interesting. So let me, here's a quote from the article. CRB1 mutations weaken linkages between cells lining the colon in addition to their long-observed role in weakening the protective barrier around the eye. This motivated study co-author Lai Wei, an ophthalmologist, to produce CRB1 mutant mice with depleted levels of bacteria. These mice did not show evidence of distorted cell layers in the retina, unlike their counterparts with typical gut flora. Furthermore, treating the mutant mice with antibiotics reduced the damage to their eyes, suggesting that people with CRB1 mutations could benefit from antibiotics or from anti-inflammatory drugs that reduce effects of the bacteria. 
If this is a novel mechanism that is treatable, it will transform the lives of many families, Lee says, end quote. So what they're saying is this you know, mutation, which does weaken part of the eyes, also it weakens part of the cells that line the gut. And we think that some bacteria are getting out of the gut and migrating over to where the eyes are and in basically causing infections. And that's why the antibiotics helped. And that's why the mice with specialized you know, gut bacteria that didn't include the regular stuff didn't end up getting sick, even though they had the same mutation. This would be amazing because what it's showing is, yes, the CRB1 mutation is very important to this whole process, but it's not what's actually causing the issue. What is causing, at least what we think, and this is very preliminary in these particular mouse models, again, not human models, but what we think is causing the problem is actually the bacteria in the gut that are migrating over to the eye. This opens up the world because it means that people who have this disease are no longer basically somebody's saying, well, sorry, you have a genetic disease, nothing we can do about it, too. We might find the right antibiotics to be able to basically eradicate this and make this something you can live with just by keeping this one species of bacteria in your gut from taking over and getting elsewhere because of the depleted cells in your you know, intestinal linings. This is fucking amazing. Now, when they were making the, uh, the human body, they might have thought it was um, expedient to have a hotline to the Kremlin from the brain to the colon. Sure. But uh, we're really finding out that uh, I think we've we've discussed that there's this this pink eye thing. The, the gut bacteria might be giving people Alzheimer's. Like yeah. th- they're th- the Kremlin is sending secret messages coded like they're they're Manchurian candidating the the candidating the president on these phone calls. It's being used for nefarious ends. The more we find out about the microbiomes, and I put like an S on that and for a purpose reason, because there's a gut microbiome, there's a vaginal microbiome, an oral microbiome, a nasal microbiome, like we got the dermal microbiomes on our skin. We've got all, the, all that stuff going on. It's not just bacteria, by the way. There's fungi in there. There's protists and a bunch of other stuff. But the more we find out about it, the more we realize how much of that is involved in our day-to-day health and how many diseases seem to stem from out-of-control versions of one of those bacteria or another or, you you know, our body's inability to tamp them down or something like that. Regardless, this is just one of those really interesting articles. Because again, if we find out that this does, you know, kind of translate to humans, that it's not just the mutation, but the bacteria that are migrating around because of this mutation, we could very well change the lives of almost everybody who has this disease almost overnight. I mean, if we have an effective antibiotic against that particular bacteria, and it seems like we do in the mouse models, this could change a major disease overnight for a ton of people who are otherwise suffering greatly. Like, that's that's awesome. That's one of those, like, fucking go science articles, you know? We just now need to find a way to make antibiotics profitable. That way, we can get the antibiotic <laughs> that's right. that'll work for this scientific... <laughs> Oh, thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction 692, where you learned all about pets versus Parkinson's and how your gut might be causing your eye disease. Thank you so much for joining us and come on back next week for Science Faction 693. I got to warn you, my dog's pretty cool. He's a former police drug dog, not a sniffing dog. He worked vice and he's he's addicted to most things. You've been listening to Science Faction. That's not right.